0: Welcome to Consensus Unreality. This is a free episode. Um, we are asking you to consider joining our Patreon, where we will have bonus episodes every month. Um, we will have extra written content, and I hate the word content.
1: I actually love merch.
0: Yeah, you're gonna get discounts on some sweet, sweet merch. Um, (laughs) Some merch. (laughs) You can get our merch table. A look in on some of Ben's um, written ramblings, um, and we'll have some exclusive (laughs) interviews and stuff down the road. So check that out. Um, The first Patreon episode just went up. um, Yeah. And it's one of our most extensive deep dives. So
1: it's all about uh, Hollow Earth poles.
0: Holes Nazis, in the, poles.
1: the holes in the poles. Yeah, way to sell I it. I think
0: it's a good episode. So enjoy this uh, next episode. Um, peel back the curtain. We already recorded it and it was awesome.
1: Great episode. All right. Yeah. All right. So welcome to episode 13 of Consensus on Reality. Uh, we are joined today by... Uh, Recluse, a.k.a. Uh, S. William Snyder, uh, the, the writer and maintainer of the Up View blog and the podcast The Farm. He's the author of Strange Tales of the Parapolitical and a new book on the Epstein Network, A Special Relationship. I think he's one of the most astute writers and researchers in this broadly defined conspiracy, high strangeness sort of crossover realm. And um, I highly recommend checking out all of those things that I just mentioned. Uh, welcome to
2: the show. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Yep. Thanks for coming on, and, and also check out the Farm Podcast. Been cramming yeah. that in so good. Some excellent guests on there.
2: And yeah. please sign up for my Patreon too. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. All the uh, so yeah, all the Patreons. Uh, yeah. Uh, we all need the. We all need it right now. <laughs> um that would be great.
2: So yeah. well, in my case, you get two extra shows a month as well. Um, full nice. length ones. So yeah, you get a little something out of just $5 a month too.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Highly recommend doing that. It's great work. Um, and such work should be patronized. <laughs> uh, is that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. If that's the word. Um, so I guess we could start today with, uh, some of the current headlines we have going on. What do you think of all this uh, monolith business?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the monolith, man, I mean, that's a really interesting one. Um, You know, of course, there's sort of the parallels with 2001 when you had the monolith appear early in the year there. Yeah. But you had the one in Utah, which I think appeared on – November 18th uh which for me was personally a really interesting synchronicity. I have a couple of uh, really close friends who have uh, birthdays on November 18th strangely. Mm-hmm. Um and then it disappears again on uh the 27th, uh officially the night of the 27th, so it was there for a full 9 days. Yeah. Uh that's always a bit of a significant number in, you know, certain mm-hmm. circles. And um, then you have yeah, yeah, got yeah. the um the other one that shows up in, I think, what, Romania or something like that, like a couple of days later, mm-hmm. you know, you've uh, you got the twinning of the monolith, uh, you know, kind of one showing up in the new world, one showing up in the old world. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's definitely some really interesting symbolism. And then um, for me, at least, I mean, it was really interesting that uh, the Utah one showed up there at Moab um mm. which is a big uh you know i mean obviously it's not a well-known town but i mean certainly if you're a movie fan you've probably seen it at some point quite a few films have been shot there really going back mm. to the good old days of the john ford westerns uh from the 50s and whatnot and uh more recently westworld has been filmed there um which was one of the theories at least for uh where the monolith had come from which is uh certainly an interesting one kind of Begs the question if it maybe it was kind of a, an alternate reality game or something like that connected mm. to the Westworld show, yeah. Um, and then of course you've got all the weird Mormon stuff, uh, mm. the kind of mm. so it's Red Rock, Redwood, something like that. Uh, ranch, um, yeah, another uh, one of these fundamentalist Mormon sects that I've been uh, chronicling more lately on the blog. Um, mm. You know they have a strange custom in a lot of cases of child brides and uh, that type of thing. Um, huh. Yeah, it's uh, lots of interesting stuff there. It's very loaded, and of course the uh, monolith wasn't quite on the thirty seventh uh, parallel, the good old was it UFOs high weirdness superhighway. but it was pretty dang close. It was <laughs> just a hair out into the thirty eighth. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I guess, I mean, so the the conventional explanation at first was like that it was like an art installation or something, I, I, right? I mean, I, and I guess I, th- I think the ARG uh, explanation seems to, for me, hold the most water at, at the moment. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a good possibility, given how much ARGs have really kind of been in the headlines of late. Um, you know, and it kind of makes you wonder, too, if there's some kind of long game with the thing in Romania as well. But um yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, that is for sure.
0: Yeah, I think like the Twitter consensus now is that it's just uh advertising for for 3001.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 it's it's yeah, it's definitely a form of advertisement. Um, yeah, we just got to figure out what exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. Um, I guess that's a good segue into talking about sort of ARGs, uh alternate reality games in general. Um, on your blog you've been kind of looking into that a lot lately Um, and I guess some of the really early I guess it was before they were even really they could have been ARGs because it was pre-internet but um, the whole Illuminati Robert Anton Wilson uh, Carrie Thornley sort of you know the Playboy uh, letters to the editor what a what can you say about all that, the Operation Mindfuck stuff? Yeah,
2: yeah, that all kind of goes into Operation Mind the uh, Mindfuck, which was, um, you know, an outgrowth of Discordianism. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really fascinating, you know, because, I mean, uh, well, just, I mean, with the whole progression, really, of conspiracy theories, um, you know, that you sort of go back a couple of years, and, uh, you know, you see in the kind of onset of the Cold War, a lot of these conspiracy tropes came from places like the John Birch Society and the Liberty Lobby, which were ultimately mm-hmm. under the control of the american security council i mean i've written quite a bit about that in my blog but i mean it was basically a vast private intelligence network there were all kinds of ex-military and cia people in it mm. and this is you know really where you get a lot of the bilderberg the un one world government stuff the rockefeller tropes uh the federal reserve all that good stuff you throw in the liberty lobby you get a lot of the anti-semitic stuff i mean that's all kind yeah. of tied in with the institute mm. for historical review right. so all this stuff sort of starts out as Cold War propaganda. And then in 68, you know, you have Kerry Thornley and Robert Anton Wilson getting in on the act with Operation Mindfuck. And. You know, I mean, we can obviously speculate about this a little bit. I mean, Thornley did have a very strange history. He had served in the Marine Corps with Lee Lee Harvey Oswald. And then later they uh, ended up in New Orleans um, in the early 60s. They were both uh, allegedly working out of the office of a private detective called Guy Bannister. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, He seems to have been running his own essentially quasi-private intelligence operation there. Um, There were... Lots of interesting people hanging out there, um, especially with all the wondering bishops. You know, you've know, you got people like David Ferry, Jack S. Martin, uh, right. Thomas Beckman, I think. And the thing is, is a lot of these guys have been um, ordained by a guy called Christopher Maria Stanley, who was a member of the American Orthodox Catholic Church. That's LaVinda's church, Peter LaVinda. Right. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> Forcer, <laughs> yeah. Allegedly the author of the Simon Necronomicon. So, I mean, yeah. you've got... These wandering bishops hanging out there, you've got Kerry Thornley, Guy Bannister is tied in with this whole American Security Council nexus. Um, Apparently one of his good buddies was a guy named Edward Butler. He was another far-right activist in the New Orleans area. He was actually the one who had debated Oswald um, on radio, where Oswald had famously proclaimed himself a Marxist. Mm Butler huh. was also a part of the American Security Council. Specifically, he was a psychological warfare officer. Uh, he had done that in the military before he had gotten into this, you know, far-right activism. So you've got this guy hanging out there with Bannister why Thornley is in this whole milieu. A couple right. of years later, you know, he and some of these Discordians launch Operation Mindfuck. And this is, you know, beginning with like the letters that they start sending out to Playboy and what have you. I mean, this is really where. Uh, the modern Illuminati mythos really get going. Mm. Um, You know, we'd had Illuminati scares in the United States uh, shortly after the American Revolution, if you can believe that, Mm -hmm. and then um, around the time of the First World War. But there really hadn't been anything since then until, you know, the late 60s when this Operation Mindfuck stuff gets going. So thornley i mean he sends letters he accuses you know robert welch the head of the john birch society of being a member of the illuminati he turns around and sends willis cardo the head of the liberty lobby i mean things accusing william buckley of being a covert jew and a member of the illuminati just crazy stuff like that yeah so most modern conspiracy tropes they start out as cold war propaganda and then you just have these total fabrications the guys like carrie thornley you know, added into it almost as a kind of street theater
1: yeah. It is
2: just really, you know, had a profound effect on, you know, how we really perceive reality going forward. And I mean, even with Thornley himself, who, you know, ultimately had a meltdown from all of this. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was, you know, later implicated by Jim Garrison and his investigation into the Kennedy assassination. Um, He's going into New Orleans with Garrison, kind of trying to make this case against him. One of the people testifying against Thornley was a, Thornley was a chick named Barbara Reed. She was also a Discordian. She was actually hanging out with the Process Church at the Final Judgment in this time frame, yeah.
1: 1968.
2: <laughs> so, you know, God only knows what all is going on with this. I mean, it's, you know, since they're both Discordians, there's always the possibility that they're playing their own little games with Garrison's investigation, which is one of the big tropes of conspiracy culture. So it's just all of this insanity. And then you fast right. forward, you know, <laughs> To about the middle of this, uh, the mid 70s, the cosmic trigger comes out, the Illuminatus trilogy had come out before then. Um, you know, kind of getting into this whole construct of the ARGs. I mean, I think, I mean, it probably wasn't necessarily intentional at the time, but I think the cosmic trigger was um, you know, to kind of use a DD analogy, a kind of player's handbook, if you will. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's effectively a way to train people how to spot synchronicities and whatnot. I mean, it's also the first time James Shelby Downer gets referenced in a major public. So this is sort of the beginning of Twilight language in the public consciousness. you know yeah. all this stuff is kind of coming to the surface with the cosmic trigger. I mean Kenneth Grant, which is another guy who's really big and this just blending of you know fact and fantasy, you know right. yeah. yeah. So all that stuff, I mean is put into the cosmic trigger. And then about a decade after that is when the first ARG gets going, uh, which is Ong's hat. Mm-hmm. And right. it was yeah. inspired by the formless ocean group um which is kind of based out of the santa cruz area which is naturally right along the 37th parallel right. um yeah. you know form uh, it's the formless ocean group or fog it's probably a reference to the abyss since the abyss is the plane of chaos uh robert mm-hmm. anton wilson's in there he's in it with joseph nathini who was the main guy behind all his had hakeem mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. bay was in the group John Lilly, uh, Terrence McKenna, Dennis McKenna. I mean, a lot of the big, wow, yeah. you know, uh, I think Timothy Gleary had some involvement with it. I mean, most of the big uh, counterculture icons of the 1980s were all present and accounted for there. And that was the whole milieu that these ARGs kind of, you know, grew out of. It was this nexus that it sort of started with Operation Mindfuck and possibly Sooner with some of these, you know, cold war propaganda from the American Security Council, mm. and then it finally gets just turned into a full blown game, uh, by Bethany and these guys at the late 1980s. Now you're deliberately trying to get people to go out into the real world and act out like these insane conspiracy tropes, which are then also blended in with all kinds of other stuff i mean montauk gets mentioned the mm. shaver mysteries get thrown in there right you know i mean yeah obviously all the stuff with uh, the philadelphia experiment you know it's just this crazy yeah thing that just starts tying into all these other conspiracy theories and then you know internet culture hits and i mean it just starts to blow up and now you've got these people going on playing the game and even after mithini starts telling them it's a game they don't believe him i mean you know you can right. read interviews or listen to these interviews with mithini. he's got people showing up to you know his house you know in the late 90s in santa cruz telling him that they just came from another dimension that they were able to access from longs hat new jersey and you know yeah. it's, it's not a game man i just came back to the other dimension yeah
0: that's <laughs> so, incredible
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, from there, you know, the corporations start picking up on this stuff. I mean, the first mm. really big commercial one was um, for AI, the Steven Spielberg movie, which mm. naturally started as a Stanley Kubrick project. I always uh, yeah. thought it was kind of interesting. I, I think Kubrick would have definitely dug the whole ARG platform, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it gets into Lost. Uh, Westworld, you know, was one that obviously used it. And then finally, um, the military starts looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of the big things that they had really used um, the games for was as uh, you know personality profiling. I mean, this was something that went back to Metheny, and you know you see this referenced, for instance, a lot, like in the first season of Westworld when they kind of go into like what the game is really about and the vague references to the personality profiling, and then of course, right, yeah. By the time you get to the third season, you find out that a lot of the dystopian future that they're living under was constructed by an AI that was using all of this personality data that had been compiled from the Westworld game. So now he can come up with these highly accurate personality profiles for the entire society and decide, you know, I mean, who's going to be constructive, who's going to be a social misfit, and, you know, place them accordingly. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I mean, sadly, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, I think a lot of people in the real world are very you know interested in i mean it's just especially yeah. just you know the rise of gamer culture the you know looming i mean vr going to be everywhere i mean it's just it's really kind of a a perfect storm in a lot of ways
1: right i remember when uh pokemon go came out that was like a uh, there's all kind of, there's almost like a little bit of a panic about like the connection between the whoever made that in like a CIA I think like well in, there in was Quito, right? it, yeah. yeah
0: there was like a it was very easy to figure out that there was funding yeah. like back channel through the CIA
1: it was like the Niantic Corporation or something like that yeah, yeah. so I mean
0: and that, that game
1: is still hugely popular so I guess people even if it's out there I guess they don't often really care
2: yeah like what- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like all these surveys and stuff you take online. I mean, so much of that is also used for these personality profilings and all kinds of other insane stuff. I mean, people right. just don't realize, you know, the kind of power you're giving over, you know, giving these entities over you when you do like just these surveys and what have you. You're giving them so much insight into your thoughts, your opinions. And right. I mean, you know, but it's the thing people love taking surveys. I mean, yeah, even yeah. I like taking surveys sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, rather Machiavellian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's how like uh, Cambridge Analytica built their profiling, right? Through like Facebook surveys?
2: Yeah, Facebook surveys. And then also, um, I think it was, oh, shoot, it was a company. It was a Mormon-owned uh, company out of Provo, Utah. Quartix mm-hmm. um, or something like that. But yeah, yeah, they were another one that did a ton of online um, surveys and stuff, which provided Cambridge with a lot of the other data too. So, yeah, I mean, that was exactly... And, I mean, really, you know, it does seem like some of the stuff with Cambridge Analytica was based on just this platform that the ARGs had kind of pioneered. Um, You know, I mean, it's really, I suppose, a bit of irony that, I mean, this whole, you know, 1980s counterculture that kind of, you know, produced chaos magic and... um, You know, the industrial music scene also produced just this method of personality profiling that's, you know, insanely accurate, (laughs) just, you know, uh, has so many disturbing implications when, I mean, it's used by multinationals and intelligence services.
1: Right. I guess, especially now that life is kind of being pushed online more and more. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: But the pandemic, it becomes
2: much easier, even like even than it was before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's only going to get worse. I mean, the further we go with all this like VR stuff.
0: Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's that, um that bit about cosmic trigger being a sort of guidebook for this stuff is so fascinating. Cause I think that's when you first start to, get like the numerology stuff with the 23 mystery. Yeah, the 23
2: enigma comes from that. I mean, there's just there's so many tropes that really started in modern conspiracy culture that came from uh Cosmic Trigger and the Illuminatus trilogy that we just yeah. you know, we really take for granted now. and I mean, there's some other ones. I mean, I think Farrell House was probably in on this. I mean, Adam parfrey was kind of from that same uh Milieu the 1980s counterculture scene but I mean there's certain works like Apocalypse Culture the, uh what is it the James shelby Downer book Carnival of mm-hmm. Life and Death I mean I think yeah. those are other examples of that I mean probably the Sinister Forces trilogy too I mean right again Mr. Laundering uh Bishop Peter Lavenda you know I mean he was <laughs> yeah and yeah. with all these guys
1: I've been revisiting Sinister Forces lately and Yeah. I have such mixed feelings. I can't, I just can't pin him down. I don't get it. Like the book is, it's great. And it's, it's, I mean, obviously very influential, but I just, everything else you know about him and his involvement with the whole, like uh, to the stars, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I can, what do you, what what do you think of, uh, of him as, as a figure?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, used to really admire Lavenda a lot, too. I mean, like a lot of people. I mean, he was definitely one of my biggest influences when I had started doing this. I mean, certainly he brought a level of scope and scholarship, you know, to this Mm -hmm. kind of research that I don't know had really been attempted up until that point in time but yeah i mean there's just so many shadowy things about lavinda i mean obviously his association his connection to the association of former intelligence officers i mean right. yeah you know i mean that was a group that was co-founded by david atlee phillips who's believed to widely believed to be maurice bishop who shows up in so much of the jfk conspiracy theory literature mm. uh, you know i mean the uh, association of Former intelligence officers it's been tied into a lot of weird stuff especially that Las Vegas chapter that LaVenda is allegedly a member of, along with like John Alexander, Richard Doty, um, right. obviously Colonel Michael Aquino before. At least we think he's dead. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yeah. all those guys were sort of tied into that. So, I mean, yeah, you just, it's hard to make, I mean, you know, what to make of LaVenda. I mean, I've had some correspondences with him over the years. He's always been very cordial, very decent to me, you know. Mm. You'd like to think guys like that, I mean, are on the level, but yeah, it's just very strange. And I mean, especially the Two to the Stars Academy thing was just one yeah. of those. Like, I yeah. just don't. Unless you really want the money that bad, I don't know why you <laughs> would want to be working
0: with this. <laughs> probably yeah. does. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, care. I don't
2: blame him. I mean, the guy has been doing first rate research for just years now. And I mean, it's probably not made anywhere near the kind of coin off of it that he should. Yeah. So. Right. I mean, when you consider the kind of wide reaching influence a lot of his research has had. But yeah, it's just it's also, I mean, just kind of partly, you know, just sad that it's you, know, you gotta team up with like Tom DeLong or something like that to finally <laughs> yeah. get him still notice, you know.
1: oh yeah, Tom DeLong and like a bunch of <laughs> like really like just suspicious people. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Um I'd, uh, I'd love to elaborate on Ong's Hat a little bit more because I, I think um, for a lot of listeners in the area, I know a lot of people go out to the Pine Barrens and stuff. I've, I've actually been to Ong's Hat a bunch of times, and I think it's also a really interesting early ARG. Um, I think just the way that it's constructed, um, knowing that there was sort of um, parapsychology research done at Princeton and there is an actual ghost town in the pine Mm -hmm. barrens you know it's i think the construction of it lends itself to people's pattern recognition in an interesting way
2: yeah yeah i mean it definitely you know there was a lot of thought that went into it and i mean um yeah i mean it does superficially seem very you know plausible in a certain sense and i mean there's no doubt that it's also been very influential as well i mean not just you know obviously in launching args but on prop uh, pop culture as a whole i mean um one of the things like fringe for instance uh, the tv series i actually yeah. really heavily inspired by Ong's hat hmm. i mean of course the the mode of interdimensional travel that the Ongs had group um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it essentially It goes around this rogue group of hippies and quantum physicists and, you know, magicians and so forth who go out to this abandoned town of Ong's Hats. They set up this utopian commune and they figure out a way to travel, you know, in between dimensions and so forth. And the way the dimensional travel is done is through this thing called the egg which is, you know, basically this big sensory deprivation tank. You know, they put in, you know, they drug you up with LSD and all this other stuff. Um, it's basically the same thing that you see sort of referenced in Fringe with the whole kind of spin on, you know, the interdimensional traveling. I think they even picked up the typewriter trope, if I remember hmm. correctly, from Mong's had. I think that, yeah, there yeah. it was like a typewriter that you could communicate in between the dimensions. Yeah, yeah, with Yeah, all yeah. that, that rings they, a bell, yeah that they brought into friends. I mean, yeah, it's just really, uh, you know, amazing, Um, you know, and that kind of is also where the whole thing with Aung's hat gets even weirder because it's, you know, art imitating life and then art imitating that. So, yeah, (laughs) um, it kind of even further leads, you know, I mean, with the, you know, even more distortion of reality in that sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the same thing that a more recent ARG, the Jejun um, Institute managed, because of course they, they did the documentary about that i think in 2013 called the institute and now just this year in march of 2020 they did a full-blown uh fictional tv show about it called dispatches from elsewhere Hmm. yeah yeah kind of you know going full circle in a lot of ways (laughs) Yeah. yeah
0: Does that does does like hat predate the the Montauk stuff because there there's similar similarities there uh, too? I think
2: they were like roughly the same time. hat got going right around 1988, and I think that's about the same time the Montauk stuff started to come out. Montauk might yeah. have predated it by like a year or something, but I then it was it. like. Peter Moon started working right. with ability, yeah I was just gonna so, say that yeah yeah so I mean that kind of like further blurred the waters because yeah I mean now Peter Moon is like writing stuff for the Ong's hat literature on top of everything else and it's just kind of funny to me that like even with that direct connection to Ong's hat so many people still take the you know Montauk uh, is like, yeah. like every you know aspect of it being true to this last detail you know
1: right yeah, that whole, I mean, yeah, Peter Moon is an interesting character. And he, he has all that like what is where is is that Romania? Where is he he's doing all that stuff over there too?
2: Oh that's interesting, especially maybe, the whole the connection with the monolith. Yeah, right.
1: Maybe it's just maybe Romania is just on my mind. But I know he did uh well, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look into that uh another time. But yeah, he's um he's an interesting character and the fact that montauk and ums hat have all this crossover should, but one is treated as like an arg and one is treated as like a almost like canon like yeah conspiracy. yeah,
2: yeah. Well, i mean i mean i think even then you know a lot of the cons- big conspiracy tropes from the 80s you know were sort of like precursors to the args too i mean you kind of see that for instance like with the majestic stuff mm. um, right you know obviously the aviary figures i mean several of these guys were also tied into that whole scene at sri that robert anton wilson is a part of yes yeah. so, i mean that you know is partly you know it maybe starts partly as disinformation to try to cover up the smith memo that had been leaked in canada that implicated van ever bush and all this stuff mm. but then you know i mean after a while it starts you know being built into a mythos of its own and then um you know you get the philadelphia experiment that comes out around the same time as well i mean of course that was also later heavily incorporated into montauk yeah
1: yeah
2: um to a lesser extent i think also on had too and um and then finally my favorite monarch monarch was right, another one right. that came out right around that time too um, yeah so <laughs> And that's another one i know hank alborelia um the great hank alborelli the author of a terrible mistake and the uh, secret hmm. order it always insisted to me it was fabricated hmm.
1: huh yeah and that's huge that's huge even like, just in Twitter responses, like... You'll just yeah, like, no, I mean, yeah. you
2: definitely... I, yeah. I mean, I've gotten way more attacks than, I mean, I think almost anything else for questioning the legitimacy of Monarch. And, it's, and I'm always like, I'm not trying to say it doesn't have a basis in reality. It does. <laughs> right, that's right. why it was such a good, you know, conspiracy theory, because it does have a basis right. in reality. But, yeah. Right. But it doesn't mean that the whole thing is true, though. It's yeah. not. Yes. You know? Yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. And that's and I guess you see that in, all like, every every area of this is that it's all it's based on something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I mean, again, you know, that's what makes the great ARGs, you know, I mean, they've got to have that real life uh, stuff, you know, that makes them plausible. Mm-hmm. Right. You no, know? I mean, so much of it, I mean, that's integral to the ARGs is the treasure hunt um, element, because I mean, these guys, you know, they have their own, and I'm talking about like Joseph Matheny and these types, I mean, they have like their own kind of concept of um, the secret, Right. But it really doesn't have to do with anything related to thoughts. Okay. The real big important thing are actions. Okay. Actions are like what define who we are. We become our actions, the repetition of them over and over again. And that is really the integral part of the ARGs is that you have people consciously going out and acting out these things. And And a lot of the classic ones like Ong's Hat or the Jejune Institute and that type of thing, specifically they're trying to act out synchronicities and inspire more synchronicities. And it's you know it's kind of funny you guys were bringing up Pokemon Go because we've even gotten to the next step now where it's like you've got that Randonautica stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Right? I was going to ask about think, that. Yeah. yeah, which I believe Matheny actually did consult on.
0: Oh wow. And I
2: mean now you know you've got an app that generates synchronicities. So, I mean it's easy for these kids to just go and act out on you know hunting these synchronicities in the real world. You know.
1: Right, and there's there are stories. I mean, because early in the podcast, like when we were first starting, we were thinking of like. Uh, looking into that as like a, just like a topic to, to get into and but like researching it just even minimally. There's like some kids like found a body or something like, oh, like it's yeah. always crazy. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's funny too, because I think they, they released the app initially on um February 23rd. So you've got like the 23 and then yeah. the uh, the two, two, three also, which uh, you've that around. You got three, two, two skull and bones.
1: Right. So, so that, and, then, and with, the way that I mean, they must know. I mean, it must be intentional. Yeah,
2: them. no, they definitely picked that date, especially with the twenty-three. And I mean, these guys are all into Discordianism and all that shit. I mean, they know the twenty-three significance.
1: Yeah,
2: um but yeah, no. Have you guys played the Randonautica thing? I haven't done it yet. I mean, I, I messed with it a little bit. It. Yeah, I messed with it, actually, over uh, Thanksgiving. Um, I wish I could have, like, gone uh, further into the spots they had given me. See, I live out in West Virginia in the middle of nowhere, so you you don't really want to kind of wander <laughs> onto somebody's yeah. property randomly around here because there's a good chance you'll get shot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was kind of funny. I mean, I was uh, driving back to my cabin after I had finished playing Randonautica, and there was supposedly this trail. I live, like, right beside of a mountain, and there was supposedly this trail that would lead to the top of this mountain. And I've heard that you could see three states on the top of it. But I've looked, you know, for, I mean, almost a couple of years now trying to find the trail, never saw anything. So I'm driving back to my cabin after playing Randonautica. And I glance off at the mountain as I'm coming up in the cabin and I see that there's like this sign uh, just like right like on the side of the mountain. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? I've never, (laughs) you know, I mean, I've lived here for like four years and I've never noticed this just random sign there. I go back, hike over to where it's at and start going up the side of the mountain. Now suddenly I'm seeing the trail there, get up there, and it's like, yes here is the trail to such and such a peak and enter at your own risk. It definitely was a very steep trail, but um, yeah, so that was kind of my one uh, weird experience with Randonautica on the uh, single time that I played it thus far.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is strange. I I used it um, with a couple friends. We were coming back from a hike and um It brought us to this apartment complex, and the spot that it ended up on, it was funny because we were just, our thought was um, Sasquatch, just Mm. for fun, you know? And And there's a window in this apartment complex, and there's just two big, foggy handprints on this window. It's like kind of random, but I mean... I guess it could could have just been anybody's hands, but it was just a funny thing to land on synchronicity.
2: Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it is definitely interesting. So yeah, that kind of seems like it's the, uh, the next stage with the apps and (coughs) yeah. (coughs) I'm sure eventually we'll get to where you've got like some kind of um, ARG that really goes deep into the VR stuff too. So that you mm, can yeah. just totally finish, uh, you know, removing whatever boundaries there were between fantasy and reality altogether.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, as far as the synchronicity stuff goes, I mean, so if like, if Randonautica is like trying to like sort of simulate, like if I, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what that is. Like, do you think that there's, do you think that that's true? Like, do you think that they're actually tapping into some sort of, you know, larger force? Or do you think it's like a more cynical way to like get people used to like going to places that the phone tells you, or like what, you know, I mean, what's I the- think,
2: it, I mean, it's probably a combination of the two. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. certain people, there is just, a, you know, a cynicism of it. I mean, it's also obviously a good way to compile data on people as well. I mean, how yeah. far they're willing to go with stuff, mm. I mean, they're, you know, track them, all this other good stuff. But, I mean, there definitely are the true believers who I think are into this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of it is really organized around cybernetic principles. And that um, really underscored, like, a lot of Jacques Vallée's uh, concepts specifically. But, okay, so in cybernetic principles, um, it's all really based on the concept of feedback loops, okay? You've got your positive and your negative feedback and these loops create systems. And effectively the universe is one giant system with all of the different feedback loops going on and they're all the different subsystems with their own feedback loops and so on and so forth. And I think to a certain extent, this is like a way of explaining synchronicity in much the, the same way. I mean, really Jungian psychology was designed for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, when you get into sort of like the third orders of, of cybernetics, you, know, you get to the situation where You start noticing the system and the system starts to notice you, which increases the amount of feedback loops that you're experiencing, which would, I mean, uh, indicate a heightened level of synchronicity as well. And eventually this gets to the point where, you know, you create a strange loop or something to that effect, like a kind of unresolvable paradox with all these different feedback loops. And when you get to that point, in theory, and you know Valet's constructs, it you know triggers the control system, and this is where the UFOs and the poltergeist activity and the angels and all this other good stuff start to come into play. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think in some area, I mean, some circles, you know, there is this view that you know if you can increase these synchronicities, really tear down the fabric of consensus reality possibly you can create a reality where magic is real quote-unquote mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know i mean i think that's a certain extent of factor uh you know can we actually turn you know our current physical world into the world of warcraft essentially
0: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting uh, yeah. do you um do you see this sort of thing happening with like the hellier phenomena because it's like the arg stuff and and obviously we talk about QAnon too but there's sort of like a nefarious element to it now I feel, but then there's like the, the hellier like synchronicity stuff that seems more in a different seeing manifestation in a different light, you know? Yeah. I mean, you
2: could definitely see it in that sense. I mean, I do (coughs) think that there were guys trying to organize a response against the QAnon stuff. But I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I can't really speak for year. I'm not involved with the people directly with that. But I mean, I know to Penny Royal, um, yeah. you know, there is kind of a sense with those guys that, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a struggle on the one hand with what I think they perceive themselves as trying to do with this more kind of uh, spiritual approach with the pan stuff and what have you is kind of like an alternate to this real dark cynicism of the QAnon, the, mm-hmm. you know, Great Awakening, that whole thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. What, what do you... what? So what do you think uh, QAnon is? What do you think the... What's the end game for that? Or, like, what... I mean, because I know you've been sort of diving into that on the blog recently.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely, I think, uh, a... ARG that's uh, definitely been taken to a level that's never really been attempted before in just terms of the sheer scale of it and so forth. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of compelling evidence that uh, it was partly crafted by a guy called Thomas Schoenberger who had earlier uh, Game Jack Cicada 3301, which was another popular alternate reality game um, that started around 2012. Uh, of course, it you know kind of started out more geared towards hacking and cipher systems, but it started to get really esoteric with the what was it Liber Primus or whatever the heck the one book is associated yeah. with it. Um, a lot of references to ceremonial magic and this type of thing. I mean, of course, Schoenberger um, had claimed to be the reincarnation of uh, Saint Germain at one point mm. <laughs> uh, involved <laughs> with the I Am movement. So. Mm-hmm. There's this whole element of that, but I mean, you know, you had a certain degree of these cicada people who ended up, um, working with Schoenberger. Uh, in fact, they had formed a company in 20, I think it was like 2014 or something called shadow box. Um, law i think it was in vegas i might be wrong on that but it was connected at various points with vegas and defcon but anyway it was basically like one-stop shopping for like online trolling you know you could get people there they would go troll people online they would dox them they would hack their emails and shit and reportedly they would even go to the extent of doing like gang stalking and shit like
1: that yeah yeah
2: so You know, I mean, they're going to like DEF CON, looking for hackers there, just this whole craziness. But I mean, then Schoenberger, you know, it seems like he's also got ties to um, the Flynn Intelligence Group, which was the uh, private intelligence company founded by General Michael Flynn, Mm. um, the former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency and the head of intelligence for JSOC previous to that, uh, who was uh, Trump's uh, very briefly tenured uh, national security advisor when he first took office.
0: Yeah, freshly pardoned. Um, yeah
2: Yeah. freshly pardoned of course yeah (laughs) Flynn has been in the news a lot lately i think he had just called effectively for trump to stage a coup or something i think just a couple of days ago um (laughs) you know one of his protégés is basically overseeing all of the special operators and military intelligence now at the pentagon so i mean Flynn's a big guy and i mean it definitely seems like there are indications that you know he was potentially using schoenberger and this whole milieu that he was involved with And, I mean, that kind of goes back to the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, Flynn's uh, intelligence group was a part of the Cambridge Analytica network, the broader network. And, I mean, you know, you can look at the eerie parallels between what Cambridge Analytica was doing, what guys like Matheny have been doing with personality profiling. You know, it does definitely, it leaves a lot of dots there that are pretty easy to connect, I would say. I mean, we haven't quite gotten the smoking guns yet, but, I mean, it does seem like there's a lot of very plausible connections there.
1: Totally. And yeah, the scale is I mean, it's kind of hard hard to underemphasize that. Like I feel like everyone that I know knows someone who is like yeah, in the all in.
0: Yeah. And I
2: mean, you know, it's partly, I think, you know, a pacification program. I As mean, Christopher Knowles has argued on the Secret Sun. I mean, it's mm-hmm. taking a lot of people who were probably a little more awakened you know from uh, as opposed to the mainstream view of things but I mean now you've got them just chasing these endless false rabbit trails um, you know insanity on top of insanity so I mean you've got a good chunk of uh, the population who may now you know pose some kind of a threat effectively being driven towards a kind of mass psychosis Mm -hmm. whether or not that's actually going to be a good thing in the long run is highly debatable but I mean (laughs) yeah um, You know, I mean, also, I think definitely, depending upon how things go in the next four years, I mean, this could easily be turned into a ready-made terror network. Mm. Um, You know, there are definitely some real diehards in there who are only going to become even more diehard, uh, you know, if Trump doesn't, in fact, go through with the, um, you know, the tribunals at Guantanamo or something like that. So, Mm. yeah. yeah you know there's a lot of ways that they could go with q but i definitely think up to this point though i mean it's been a brilliant pacification program and i mean effectively it has created just a fanatical following for him mm. and trump and i mean the people that are backing him
0: yeah that's so fascinating i mean just like the happy disinformation the nullification of the conspiracy community and then sort of also weaponizing people's um susceptibility to trying to find an identity within conspiracy culture is super interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I d- just think it's it's so unwise to go looking for, you know, a, a hardlined ideology in conspiracy culture. And that's where you really catch people and and you get them on Guy Network or you get them on QAnon. You know, it's just wild.
2: Yeah. I mean it's really fascinating. Well I mean and it's it's not even though like the alternative media though. I mean it's really also the legacy media, as well, with the whole uh, just RussiaGate thing, because I mean, True. it's just yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is, I mean, is ridiculous of a conspiracy theory as you're ever going to find. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah. And I mean, to some extent, that's even crafted a kind of uh, a left-wing QAnon. <laughs> I mean, they've got that whole, uh, obviously, Q's got the, what is it, um, Trust the Plan, the left-wing version's whole, uh, what is it, Watch the Dominoes Fall or something. (laughs) Right. At least a centrist. I mean, it's all obsessed with, like, the Russia stuff. I mean, it just sort of goes back to everything being, like, this Machiavellian Russian plot. So, I mean, it's sort (laughs) of like, you even see this weird shit kind of playing out in, like, these far-left... Progressive circles, which in theory have supposedly been kind of inoculated from conspiracy theories, they're all opposed to this now, Um, Mm -hmm. except anything related to Russia. Um, You know, the ideal of Putin personally hacking the DNC is, you know, completely plausible, but, you know, that the Kennedy assassination was necessary to enshrine the military industrial complex is something that, yeah, only far out kooks would believe in. Right. Or, 9-11 9-11 was necessary to like uh, yeah, start the war machine back up again. Totally. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. that's like, you know, again, I mean, it's even just the mass psychosis with like what passes for like mainstream thought. I mean, just like in the 9-11 thing, I mean, I remember one time I was at work and uh, one of the managers actually had kind of said something like, Oh, it's such bullshit. You know, they always say that we needed 9-11 to get more funding for the military and to launch all these wars, but we're all these wars in the first place. We were already doing them. (laughs) And it's like, dude, like after Vietnam, you know, there were hardly any military deployments of the United States for almost a quarter Mm. of a century that lasted longer than like a year. I mean, the biggest one was the first Gulf War. And even then we were out of freaking, you know, Iraq in like a year or something like that. Right? I mean, now we've been in <laughs> Afghanistan for almost 20 freaking years. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, unprecedented in the U.S. experience. And there's just there's no way that that would have ever been allowed to happen if it wasn't for 9-11. Totally. But it's like, there's so much just point of dissonance now with this kind of stuff. I mean, people just, they forget things so quickly now.
1: Yeah. I've been uh, reading the, going back to uh, David McGowan's old website and reading his 9-11 stuff. And it's it's still, it's, he was writing that like right after it happened. And it's, it's, it, have you read any of that? The,
2: I did years yeah. ago. It's definitely yeah. been a while, but I mean, yeah, McGowan was pretty spot on on a lot of yeah. stuff though.
1: So. It's, it's eerie. Yeah. that he was like the day after it happened, he was like, you know, he was like, come on.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was just, yeah. I mean, it did totally change the climate of the country. And I mean, you know, I can forgive the kids, man, because, I mean, sadly, you know, I mean, a lot of, you know, 20-year-olds, I mean, they really know—they don't know any different of a world, you know, this mm. is all they've ever known. But, I mean, mm-hmm. when people like this who are in, like, their 50s are saying this kind of stuff, it's just like, what the hell, yeah. man? I mean, yeah. you know, you know better. You lived through better times. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and then...
1: I, that's a good point, I mean, about the... The mainstream sort of does have the
2: Russiagate sort of
1: yeah, I mean, narrative,
2: that, yeah. I mean, that's why it's hysterical, because, yeah, they lash out so much at conspiracy theories now, even though, I mean, most of what passes for mainstream news effectively is a conspiracy theory. I mean... right. It's sort of like how Fox sort of became like the norm, you know, for like all the cable news stations, I think like kind of around 2012 or something. Now, I mean, it just sort of seems like sadly Alex Jones is becoming like the norm for all of the major media outlets, you know? <laughs> right. It's,
1: it's becoming like a, like a, I don't know, really, like a performance, like, yeah, it's I mean, just it like, really,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really has almost become like street theater or something. Yeah. Yeah. And but, um
1: maybe that's more honest like i, I don't know it's just it's i mean crazy it almost though.
2: is i mean what was it like they had that like lawsuit or something against rachel meadows and she came out and said that she wasn't obligated to tell the truth or something like that like, yeah yeah of course you're not i mean why would you tell the truth you're just a journalist i mean right
1: <laughs> it is, yeah it's crazy how i mean everyone that i know that i think of as relatively sane compared to what's happening in the world are all like very distrustful journalists and it's like I am, yeah, I am too. But it's like, that's crazy that 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 you know, it's come to it's come to that, <laughs> like, like a, It's like a almost like a, a, yeah, I don't know what the word is. It's just like, you are default sort of like okay, but they're like a journalist, you know.
2: Or yeah, I mean, just like with the scientific community, which is another one. And yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that there's you know too much of an anti-science. Uh, mentality and the alternate you know some of the alternate communities especially the alt-right and what-have-you but it's like on the flip side of the coin it's just like you know look at the freaking replication crisis I mean they've had issues I think recreating something like 70% of the experiments that have come out in the last decade or something like that so you're basically saying like the overwhelming majority of scientific research we've done recently can't even follow the fucking scientific method you know and you're trying to hold this you know we've seen this play out in the real world with like um the global warming stuff i mean from a decade ago when it came out when they you know had been doctoring the results and what have you Mm. and again it's like rationalized on the whole basis of like well you know maybe they fudged the results but i mean it was for a really good reason (laughs) you know it's just like (laughs) okay but this is you know and i mean again this is really the left wing in a lot of these cases it's like okay guys but this is why you know science is losing credibility and just in general why you know i mean there's just not any you know attempt to uphold the truth anymore Mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of this whole you know i don't know like the truth is objective you know i mean if it's for a a good cause essentially
1: right yeah it's crazy that's I guess I mean maybe science is an interesting way to get into the whole <laughs> Gaia TV thing,
0: um, or or you, you know, could it, go to the Epstein thing because I you know I've been oh that's
1: true listening yeah, to guess, so, yeah
0: so much of your podcast talking about like the scientific espionage stuff with uh, Ghislaine's father and and even the stuff you know Epstein was funding and all that, just like that community. You know, being uh, left left associated and Epstein. Yeah, with so
2: many of the people like in New Mexico. And I mean, just in general, a lot of the, you know, because that's, again, a lot of the scientific community. I mean, really big scientists, people like Stephen Hawkins and, um, oh gosh, what was the guy from MIT, Minsky or something like mm. that. And just a lot of these guys had ties to Epstein. They'd taken money from him. I mean, this is like the part of like freaking the TED Talks, the new atheist right. movement, like, <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. Which again, I mean, brings up also the morality of a lot of the leading scientists in this day and age. I mean, it's like if you would want to be associated with a man like Epstein, especially after he had already become a convicted sex offender, which many of them still continue to have ties with him after that. Right. So it's <laughs> like what does that say about these people and what they stand for, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean it's just the whole thing with that is insane. And, you know, that's one of the big things in general with this whole scandal. It's not really being talked about. I mean, you know, you hear a lot about the sex rings, even a little bit about like the arms trafficking that Epstein was no doubt up to his eyeballs in. But yeah, I mean, just all of the scientific espionage. And I mean, this was something that I really, you know, try to get into with um, the first book of Epstein Trilogy, the first special relationship book, going back to Robert Maxwell. And I mean, how it seems like what really put him on the map. I mean, obviously, what put him on the map was Pergamon Press. And that essentially had been set up by British intelligence. I mean, he was given the money from that, um, you know, by Sir Charles Hambro, a big banker and also the former head of the Special Operations Executive. And Hambro had been involved heavily in scientific espionage and especially espionage geared towards um, nuclear energy and that type of thing and nuclear weapons. Now, this is in the mid-1950s. So the UK is desperate to really get their own bomb at this point Mm -hmm. in time. The Americans, you know, we're reluctant to share with them, especially since they, you know, allegedly had all these spy leaks and so forth. So you've got Robert Maxwell, good old Captain Bob. He gets set up with this, you know, this scientific publishing house, uh, Pergamon. He flies to Moscow in 1954 with his uh, secretary slash mistress and dove he meets with high ranking kgb officers he gets the green light to publish all of these um, you know soviet uh, scientific journals he gets the whole monopoly on it in the west essentially from the soviet union he comes back i mean mi5 thinks he's a soviet spy mi6 isn't even entirely sure they bring him in they bring in andov Dove, uh, his mistress for questioning she was actually uh, at work with the special operations executive And she tells him straight up, oh, he's one of the boys, you know. I mean, we've been, you know, using him for this whole time. Uh. So from there, I mean, (laughs) Maxwell is basically able to continue collaborating closely with the Soviets, including, you know, senior elements of the KGB for the next, you know, 30 or 40 years. MI6 had known about it the entire freaking time. um, And a lot of it was centered around all the stuff with Pergamon. I mean, you know, that's one of the things I speculate in the book, but essentially... I think that there was a bit of a wink nod arrangement between the Soviets and the UK that the Soviets would give the British a little bit of uh, help with their nuclear stuff. And we gave them a taste of some of, um, you know, the U S uh, signals intelligence stuff that they were getting from the NSA, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the British, you know, they're very cunning. Um, they've survived as a major world power for a very, very long time for a reason. And a lot of that has to do with their, um, long time-tested uh, balance of power policy. Of course, they were in a bit of a different situation in the Cold War. They were no longer a preeminent power, so they had to try to figure out ways to, uh, I think, play the U.S. and the Soviet Union off of each other in yeah. time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, kind of keeping the arms race would have been highly useful to them, and certainly having a guy like Captain Bob there would have been very useful. And, I mean, Maxwell, you know, I mean, he was still doing this stuff all the way up into the 80s. I mean, he became a major figure in the Promise scandal, mm. uh, this time with right. Israelis and what have you. So, I mean, this connection with scientific espionage had been going on for a long time before, you know, Epstein even got involved in any of this. Right. Um, you know, but it does seem like he did use a lot of uh, Ghislaine's ties to the scientific community to make inroads there his way coming up and then i mean you get to the point where in the last decade or so of his life i mean almost all of the the funding and stuff that i mean he's giving out i mean is what he became like a venture capitalist for scientific research essentially weird stuff i mean almost quasi eugenics type thing right uh, you know cloning i mean all this other kind of insane stuff so you know, I mean, I think that kind of also gives us maybe a bit of a glimpse into how some of this highly speculative science really is carried out. I mean, this is essentially where, you know, how you would do the stuff that you just could not get any kind of legitimate government or in, you know, non-government organizational funding from mm. because it's so grossly illegal. So, I mean, only right. really means <laughs> left to you that would generate that kind of money are sex trafficking, drug trafficking, and arms trafficking, and we know Epstein yeah. was involved in at least two of those three.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it makes you think. Like, I mean, with the history of the Maxwell family, if that maybe isn't the the real story here, as opposed because Epstein is sort of the, the face of it, right?
2: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you definitely have to wonder, certainly, I mean, just how much of it was this kind of black science stuff that, I mean, has been funded off the books through a lot of like this illicit, you know, these illicit networks and what have you. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of this funding was earmarked to rig elections and build up insurgency movements in other countries, Mm -hmm. but I mean... Still, just there's so much money generated by the, just the drug trade alone, and then you throw in the arms trade, and God only knows what these sex rings make. That's yeah. a lot of money, you know. There's a lot of crap you could fund with this stuff. Right?
1: Yeah, it's
0: yeah, it's, and it's fascinating. Not accountable. Yeah, and
2: it's all unaccountable. Exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> and like the elite obsession with transhumanism too. It's that's really just wild.
2: Yeah. I mean, it goes in again a lot of this, you know, whole kind of milieu with the TED Talks and all this stuff that I mean Epstein was so heavy, right. you know, sponsoring. And I mean, again, it also kind of goes into that, you know, kind of 80s counterculture. I mean, a big figure in all of this was uh stored brand. I mean, the founder mm-hmm. of the whole Earth catalog. I mean, he had put up a lot of money to help with the PC revolution in the late 70s. Uh in the 80s, he had helped set up the MIT Media Lab. Uh, which was one of the major institutions that Epstein had gone on to, um, you know, become a patron of in the latter years of his life. So, I mean, you know, you have that whole sort of nexus there. And, I mean, of course, Robert Anton Wilson was certainly quite taken with transhumanism, life Mm. extension, I mean, all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah,
1: I mean, because he's such a, a, I mean, you know, a darling sort of, of, of people. I want like, to what extent do you think he is like sort of a, if not like an an actual agent of any agency but like how like dirty do you think uh he was i mean i don't Wilson. think
2: i don't think raw was necessarily like a conscious agent but i mean yeah. i do think he was given a platform because i mean they found a lot of the stuff that he was promoting to be useful yeah and it seems like specifically when you look at some of these really you know kind of cutting edge counterculture icons people like raw people like Uh, Carrie Thornley or Stuart Brand. I mean, almost all these guys were like libertarians, essentially. Mm. So, I mean, you kind of get into that, too, with like the Church of Satan, more recently, the Temple of Satan. I mean, I've said this all along, but I mean, I think libertarianism is sort of a way sometimes to like rope in a lot of these idealistic kids, you know, from the left and what have you Mm. and start... You know, kind of grooming them like, you know, uh, you think, you know, I mean, the liberals are committed to freaking personal freedom. I mean, you know, we're all about that. I mean, you want right. to have sex with a fucking minor. That's your freaking choice, man. That is your free will. <laughs> uh, By the right. way, just remember corporations are people, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Totally.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the libertarian thing is seems like an, an endless kind of hole you can go into because it's it's so. uh it's all there, like in in pretty anywhere anywhere you look in counterculture. It seems like the that's the people who succeed, I guess, right?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely think libertarianism has done so much to co-opt. I mean, a lot of these, you know, what were kind of nominally progressive movements over the years, and I mean, mm. start making them acceptable to corporate America. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I, you know, associate with libertarian ideology for a lot of years, too. I mean, especially when you're in your 20s and what have mm. you. I mean, it does have a certain appeal yeah. to it. But I mean, yeah, sure. You know, and that's why it's so freaking Machiavellian, though. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, too, how like the conspiracy culture of the of like Bill Cooper and stuff was so libertarian. And that comes as a result of like the ARG stuff
2: yeah well i mean it's also i mean it kind of i mean obviously it transcends the left and the right too because yeah i mean a lot of um you know traditionally a lot of like right conspiracy culture was also very libertarian oriented as
0: well Mm -hmm. yeah i
2: mean certainly the case of bill cooper alex jones i mean a lot of the john birch society stuff i mean yeah um you know i mean that kind of seems like it's another sort of subtle connection to all of this as well
1: yeah that makes sense Maybe that's a good way to get into the <laughs> Gaia TV a little bit because their their politics are strange to say the yeah, least. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, they've been all over the place. Um, of course, they also grew out of um a gaming company and i mean i mean specifically one that's into like slots and things like that so oh, well. <laughs> strong chance that there's some kind of like mafia tied to that and then also they're sort of from that whole um you know that area around denver if i'm not mistaken aurora that yeah. type of place so obviously there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in that just whole region of the country too so yeah. It's kind of a strange thing. Um, but yeah, you've got the whole thing with Gaia from these sort of like murky background. You know, it's got people like Jay Z Knight tied up with it. Um was it like the Ramatha movement or something like that? Um,
0: oh yeah. <laughs> Wilcox.
2: These- yeah, David Wilcox, Corey Good, I mean, all these guys. And I mean, many of them ended up drifting into like the QAnon stuff later on. Totally. Um, you know, Jay-Z Knight's just she's a really interesting one because she was um, you know, featured really heavily in what the bleep do we know as well. And oh,
1: that's Nexium kind of tied into yeah, 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 that, yeah.
2: right? Of course yeah, <laughs> Mark Vincetti. I mean, he had been a big follower of Jay z Knight, and then he later went into Nexium, so you yeah. know, you have that like there's not that many degrees of separation from Gaia and the whole Nexium thing. Of course, Nexium pretty much was an outgrowth of the human potential movement. I oh mean, yeah. yeah,
0: like neuroling Neurolinguistic, neurolinguistic programming, programming pro- right? Yeah, the yeah. number
2: yeah, the chick, the number two one in there who really turned, you know, Nexium into a big, you know, nationwide international organization, whatever. I mean, she was like the second, I think, largest uh NLP practitioner in the country or something. It's <laughs> crazy. And she hooked up with Ranieri, And I don't know if you guys have like looked into her what was her? Nancy Salzman I think but like there's almost nothing online about what she was doing before she got into Nexium, too that, that's telling in itself I guess yeah, huh? yeah, yeah I mean I've been like just trying to find you know just basically like who did she train under you know that type of thing there's nothing yeah. out there there's nothing huh.
1: yeah that makes I mean that makes you think immediately like some either like government or like high corporate sort of tie or mm. like someone who has the ability because it's not easy getting yeah. your stuff cleaned I mean, out a lot
2: of that stuff had to i mean have been scrubbed i think when the yeah. Nexium scandal started to break and then yeah. you know i mean you had that other what was it like the the other doctor i think who had showed like some of the nexium members all those like weird videos of people being tortured and stuff like that i mean just kind yeah. of these, Things. I mean, in that case, it sounds like sort of methods adapted from like Project Pelican or something like that. It's just weird, right? But yeah. I mean, it's just you know. But again, that's another one of these things with Nexium. I mean, it's just interesting all the different groups that it ties into, and like they try to depict Nexium so much as being kind of like this isolated thing, mm. but I mean, it plays in yeah. so much to the the broader New Age movement and even like, you know, some of these fundamentalist Mormon groups in Mexico and shit like that. So, you know, I mean, it's really just seems like Nexium was actually part of a broader cult network, more or less.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess cults have kind of like the face of what a cult is has kind of changed and people don't recognize it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're a lot sleeker now, you know, I mean, you kind of see it with Nexium specifically. And I mean, it's kind of adjusted for the, you know, the 21st century. I mean, there's more suits and ties now, right? Um, But yeah,
1: it's great. He doesn't make a great, like he doesn't make a very good Manson, but I guess it's like, it's yeah. It's not the same thing anymore.
0: Like the technique yeah, well, I mean, was like more reinforced this time, even more so. Yeah,
2: well, it's kind of like falling more like the Jim Jones method or something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, you know, it's a more polished. You know, I mean, somebody that's going to appeal more to like uh, professionals and whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's,
0: that's it's crazy. <laughs> um, so, man, it's. Maybe it's, it's I'm sorry. It's like, no, no, go ahead. It's just really funny. You mentioned like the the mafia connection with Gaia because it. When you think of these people, you think like if you disparage their mo, they're going to come club your kneecaps or something. You know, like yeah, the whole yeah, secret yeah. space program stuff. Well, I mean, they really are kind of like a mob in their own
2: right. You know, I yeah, mean, really, yeah. I mean, it's the new ratchet. age. You no, know, yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's really obvious, especially when you look in ufology. I mean, I don't really want to shame anybody too much publicly, but, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's really, it's the same guys, the same freaking group of ufologists who have really been running the movement now for, like, 30 or 40 freaking years. Right. I mean, pretty much everybody, every other researcher in the community is connected to these guys in some level or other. And, I mean, if you're going to get any kind of access, you know, any kind of sponsorship or anything, you've got to play ball with them you know i mean it's basically (laughs) like a protection racket or something to that effect
1: totally yeah and and you you see that i mean it's it plays out that way every time and like there are all these like there's like this drama around it like whenever like something new happens it's just it's like so it's so uh like corny kind of and i feel like that's sort of the mob factor
2: (laughs) yeah 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 and i mean you just you know i mean you kind of see that too like maybe in the more mainline conspiracy stuff recently with like alex jones for instance how like what he had originally kind of questioned the shadowgate narrative or something like that i mean Mm -hmm. that almost sort of you know touches off like a mob war between like his followers and the followers of the one chick or whatever and just yeah yeah i mean it really is just kind of funny how i mean it it is times almost just like watching these different mafia families just kind of interact with each other kind of vying over for territory and yeah right
1: <laughs> i mean i guess there's a lot of money to be made in it so yeah, yeah. i mean
2: conspiracy i mean that's why i started to refer to it as conspiratainment i mean it really is <laughs> yeah. an industry now it True.
0: is yeah yeah and especially I mean, like with the the um Secret space program stuff tying to QAnon, it's like you're getting this this pool of like the most susceptible people just ready mm. to be pounced on.
2: And yeah, and just in general, I mean, you're starting to see that more, you know, overlap with the UFO community. I mean, with the Q stuff, I yeah, mean, like the new age stuff. I mean, that's why the presence of people like Corey Good and Will Cox and JC Knight and this kind of stuff is really interesting. I mean, not in a good, interesting way, more in a Chinese curse kind of way, but I mean. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not entirely unsurprising, though. I mean, you know, if you sort of go back to sort of the methods that the ARG people use that Cambridge used with these personality profiling, I mean, I would imagine, you know, in a lot of the different alternative cultures, they do attract, you know, pretty similar personality types, probably a lot of introverts, especially. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, again, you know, obviously, in a lot of these different communities, A lot of the stereotypes are you know pretty fair I mean a good (laughs) 80 well maybe probably not that high but good let's just say a good good chunk of you know a lot of these alternative communities are probably the people in them are probably a little mentally unstable or kooks (laughs) or you know but mostly harmless but I mean there is that 10 15 percent and the more mainline conspiracy stuff and some of the new age stuff and some of the ufo stuff i mean these are very intelligent people mm-hmm. um you know they're very motivated and i mean they also tend to have very anti-social tendencies mm-hmm. um you know in the you know kind of the uh, terminology of Westworld, they would be like outliners effectively But, I mean, that's, I think, really the specific kind of people that the Q stuff really is targeted for. I mean, the Kooks, uh, the Nuts, I mean, those are guys that, you know, aren't really that dangerous in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, it's the people that uh, do have a pretty decent head on their shoulders, that are logical, that are drawn to these kinds of communities that could be an issue Mm
0: -hmm. if they're
2: not managed or fed. I mean, a lot of just, you know, uh, BS, effectively.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I feel like
0: I, I would love to watch, like, a documentary on David Wilcox's, like, rise to prominence within the ufology scene. Because I feel like when he first came on, he was talking a lot about how he was, like, Edgar Casey reincarnate. And I, and I bet, like, he ruffled so many feathers around him, it would just be such an interesting thing to be a fly on the wall for.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're just all of these guys, man. I yeah. mean, you know william cooper of course really yeah. made his name in the ufo community and i mean upholding the mj-12 stuff and then i mean to his credit he came out and did acknowledge most of that was pretty much total bs and what have you but i mean again that touched off just so many issues as well and yeah it's it's really fascinating how some of these guys work i mean that is for sure yeah,
0: yeah. I, I feel like Bill Cooper was probably more of like a, an isolated thing, because he came up with the radio show, which was more of like a localized thing, right? Did did, it, did that yeah, start nationally? Time. Yeah.
2: I think it, it did start to get at least a national audience, though, by like the 90s. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I could see Wilcox being more of like a player, you know, just like working people behind the scenes and stuff.
2: Well, I mean, keep in mind, Bill Cooper was an ONI officer, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we
2: know without a doubt that Bill Cooper was an ex intelligence officer. Right. I mean, it right, surprised right. me if Wilcox was, too. But I mean, you know, Cooper, I mean, I think had his own methods, too. It's just, you know, I think ultimately what he was doing, especially about the 90s, though, was like a little more sophisticated. Because it's just some of the stuff with Bill Cooper, it's like maddening. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, so he'll do like, I mean, for obviously the Mystery Babylon series, which is a classic. I mean, he's got a whole episode that's basically just a bibliography, you know, going through all the books, you know. So, I mean, it's like, okay, the guy is showing you how to do research, actual research for these kind of projects, go through and actually try to find, you know, stuff you're going to find you know, site and what have you. It's like, okay, he knows how to do this like in a scholarly sense, but then it's like, you know, you're going to use something like holy blood, holy grail as like a legitimate source on like all this crap. You know, it's just like come on, Bill, I know you know better than this. (laughs) Why are you telling people this shit? Yeah.
1: And he's still he's huge. I I worked at like a say a, a large book selling chain for maybe half a year. And that was like of anything in like in that section. It was always uh, the Pale Horse book. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People read that more than anything else in the conspiracy field. And it's I'm a not-
0: touchstone. I feel like. But I'm not yeah. sure,
1: like, why. I mean, I guess it has a great cover. I think that, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I think for the cover is
2: definitely. And, I mean, <laughs> you know, it is fairly readable, too. I mean, even though yeah. the fact that it's, like, a huge book. I mean, there's a lot of pictures and stuff. It isn't, like, a lot of long-winded prose and whatnot. Right. Um. But, yeah, no, I mean, it is still kind of surprising, given that the book is, like, so dated now and so many things. But, yeah. Right.
1: I mean, and I, I think it might send people down, like, some pretty, like, dangerous paths because there's some like there's a lot of stuff in there that just doesn't uh work <laughs> like yeah you know? well,
2: i mean you know you basically got like the protocols that learn right. to the in there and it's like <laughs> i know just, just wholesale use with illuminati and it's perfect you know right and, yeah Ugh.
1: yeah it's nuts it's uh yeah it's kind of it's a dangerous book if you're not if it's your first book i mean in that genre yeah
2: but, yeah um, I don't know. Oh, and then there's there's Michael A. Hoffman too. I mean, that's oh god, kind of like another level of sophistication altogether. And he's like another one, like the dude. Yeah. No, he is super smart, totally. Which is why it just is baffling some of the stuff that he will freaking sit there and cite. You know, I like, know. Yeah.
1: yeah, I I kind of hate that guy, even though I think that some of the work he's done is useful. I think that he's he must be kind of evil, I guess. Like I I can't think of. Anything. <laughs> Any other reason uh, for for the way he, he does? I mean, yeah, whatever. You know, same as the. I guess that rebirth of Pan dude ended up mm-hmm. being like the yeah
2: Grimstead yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah just so that whole I mean that's a whole other I, you've kind of sort of mapped that out a bit right the whole mm-hmm. extreme far right like yeah and their influence
2: yeah i mean some of that also kind of goes back to like feral house and apocalypse culture too i mean you know obviously hoffman and grimstead have been kind of trying to launch the whole downer mythos for a while but i mean i think it was really adam Parfrey when i mean he did the um you know the original publication of king kill 33 that really got stuff going but again i mean Parfrey also i think understood really the showmanship behind a lot of this i mean Hmm. Hoffman and Grimstead yeah. got that a little bit, too. But, I mean, Parfraig definitely had, I mean, a real knack for performance art, no doubt. And the
1: the press put out, like, it's still putting out great stuff. Is he dead now? I can't remember. Yeah,
2: yeah, he died a couple of years ago. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it's still an influential,
2: like... Yeah, oh, no, definitely. I mean, Farrell House is one of the yeah. most, you know, influential under, you know underground publishing houses of the last quarter century, no doubt.
1: And all the, the process stuff with that is kind of because he was never a member was he
2: or was he no no he never was a member but i mean yeah there was just that huge attempt to really revive the process and i mean you know, it wasn't just them publishing the Love, Sex, Death, and Fear book either. I mean, um, Genesis P. Orage and Parfrey had helped, you know, set up the band Sabbath Assembly to go around and perform the hymns, the Process yeah. Church, the Final Judgment. Yeah. I mean, Genesis and Parfrey were going to, like, select dates and, like, performing these freaking process rituals and stuff yeah. like that. And I mean, it just it seems like they were really, really serious about all that stuff. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't quite get it. I mean, I've read some of the like the process literature. And I just don't find it all that compelling. So yeah, I'm kind of
2: confused. It's, it's another one of those things like with the great old ones. It's like of all the stuff that you would want to try to like, you know, create a modern religion, like, Why the freaking process? <laughs> yeah. They really weren't that freaking interesting in the first place. And then yeah. on top of that, they're just so tarred by the freaking myths and realities and controversy surrounding them it's just right it's not going to end well no matter what you try to do with that
1: yeah didn't they end up being like they're like an animal sanctuary or something now
2: Oh, yeah, the Best Friends Animal Society, oh, which is Jim. another weird one. Yeah. That's like right along the 37th parallel of the border <laughs> of um, Utah yeah. and Arizona. And it's, uh, gosh, I want to say like maybe 40 minutes from Colorado City, Arizona, which is another huh. one of these fundamentalist Mormon compounds. But here it's basically the whole town is controlled by the one church, the um, FLDS, the... Uh, was it later, Dixon? Yeah, FLDS, yeah. Uh, which was the breakaway one. But I mean, yeah, that was the one that Warren Jeff said over, you know, has actually, I think he's still technically in control of it. But I mean, he was the one who was convicted and sentenced to life uh, sentences for, you know, freaking marrying and uh, essentially raping two women while they were still teenagers. In fact, I think the one girl was yeah. like 12 years old oh, or something. Man. Um, you know he had his whole followers into this stuff with child brides I mean there was all this just weird pedophilic stuff going on at this town where the church basically controlled everything I mean they had controlled yeah. the police the local government like everything I mean even like the trash collectors and stuff so right. I mean they owned like tons of like freaking the houses in the town you know I mean if people were excommunicated because people didn't really own the houses they the church owned the houses and then the people huh. were allowed to stay at the houses so if the church excommunicated you you could live like in a suburban house for like 10 years and they could just kick you out in the streets you know like it was nothing yeah so yeah, that's crazy. You know, you've got this just weird ass cult compound with all of this you know weird stuff involving sex with teenage girls that's just yeah right there across the border like 40 minutes from freaking the uh, what became of the process church the final judgment all right along the 37th parallel yeah that's, yeah. that's not weird
0: <laughs> what do you um yeah what do you make of uh the rebirth of pan because i know it's having like a resurgence now and i think it kind of has an interesting relationship to mormonism and and sort of that history of like whitewashing the mound culture history
2: yeah i mean i actually i haven't read rebirth of pan i've read weird america i have a copy of rebirth of pan that i've had for like a gosh probably like seven or eight years now that i've never Mm. actually gotten around to reading yet (laughs) terrible about it but um actually not so much (laughs) you could you should put it
1: in the put it in the bank it's going for a lot of money now (laughs) yeah yeah it probably
2: could turn around and sell it for quite a bit of money but um yeah i mean the whole thing with that though does certainly it makes me nervous because i mean it just seems like you know ultimately i mean the pan archetype you know i mean it comes from pandemonium i mean it's just another sort of personification of chaos more or less um, you know, and specifically, I mean, you know, if you look at something like uh, the book After the Orgy, I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it, but it was really a great philosophical um text that came out around 2002, and he essentially argued that Pan had been already reborn as kind of the god of the internet because mm. I mean, now that's the new, you know, digital forest, uh,
1: mm.
2: you know, I mean, you kind of have that whole motif, but it's like, you know, to me, the Pan archetype really just plays into all of this. I mean, it's just a further... Personification of chaos. I mean, it's like, you know, with I was kind of getting in before with the group behind uh, Ong's hat, the formless ocean group. I mean, that's yeah. an allusion to the abyss, you know, again, the whole realm of chaos. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think what, you know, a lot of these guys are trying to do is just force society at large into a kind of collective chapel perilous moment, if you will, or a collective mm-hmm. crossing of the abyss. And I mean, certainly Pan is all about that, you know? Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Huh. Um let's see. I mean, forcing everyone to to confront the abyss might be a good place to to leave off. Or do I mean Dave, do you have anything else to we want to talk about? I'm
0: I don't know. Yeah, I mean uh I think we covered a great deal of stuff and I'm just like so fascinated by you know the I guess the chapel perilous of, of just the conspiracy community itself. And I think, yeah. you know, I think now there's kind of a, a like a, everybody wants to say, well, everything's an op, you know, and, and <laughs> everything kind of becomes. Yeah, an op no, a I way. mean, it really
2: has, you know, I mean, I think really that, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, the conspiracy community really has been going through its old chapel perilous thing. I mean, really, for the last decade or so i mean i think a lot of it actually does kind of go back to like sandy hook where now i mean yeah instead of you know it being like a false flag or something i mean now it's just like straight up like yes this was a total fabrication i mean nothing actually happened there it was all you know crisis actors and shit like that so i mean now it's gotten to the point where i mean you know a lot of just your mainline conspiracy people just don't even believe anything anymore that yeah. they see. It's just yeah. all an illusion to them. And now sadly, I mean, this kind of mindset I think is um, filtering into the broader public at large. I mean, I just, you know, I think that's part of the reason why it is so significant that you see stuff like Russiagate now being held up like it's, you know, a legitimate thing. You know, I mean, it's, mm. just, it's ludicrous. It really yeah. is. I mean... This is the kind of thing, like, if it had come out 20 years ago, it would have been perceived as just shameless, far-right Cold War propaganda. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably, like, administered by, like, the John Birch Society or something like that. And, I mean, now it's, yeah, I mean, you've got Rachel Meadows and, I mean, a lot of the other darlings of the legacy media, you know, I mean, acting like it's a real thing. It's just it's sickening. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. the It's like nostalgia or something almost. I mean, or just, yeah, was sort of leaving, leaving reality and sort of trying to make your own version of it, but it always sort of comes up in this nostalgic, like, for the Cold War. Like, yeah, it's...
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially for the left, man. I mean, it really, and I mean, I know Chris Knowles has always gotten into this, but I mean, yeah, the Democrats have basically become, I mean, a reborn Rockefeller Republicans, more or less. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, mm-hmm. You know, they really are just <laughs> trying to go back to like the freaking Eisenhower era almost like, right. politically or something like that.
1: Yeah, um, there, and there really isn't a left option in America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there the really moment.
2: is no left anymore. I mean, there hasn't really been a left for years now, anyway. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> You can't even really hide from that fact anymore now.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Craziness.
0: Yeah, the left truly is the Lincoln Project now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's (laughs) a reconstruction. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. Um, Cool. So anything else we want to talk about tonight?
0: Uh, We're about an hour 20. Nice. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, this stuff's just so fascinating though. You got so much good information and in, like, man, it's crazy. <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, you got the, if you want to talk about uh, what you've been up to, new
2: book, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously you can check me out at my blog, buysabew.blogspot.com. It's v i s u p b i e wblogspotcom been blogging now for just a little over 10 years. Um, you know, There's all kinds of great information uh, on the blog that you can go through in the archive and what have you. And of course, I've been doing the podcast now for a little over a year. Um, that is the farmpodcast.com. That is uh, all one word, the farmpodcast.com. And please, please, like I said, consider becoming a patron. Um, you know, you get two extra full length shows per month. For the low cost of $5 per month, that's $2.50 for an episode, and I mean, they're normally around a good two hours or so, um, more exclusive gifts and content and that type of thing. So please consider that. And um, I'm also the author of Strange Tales, the Parapolitical Post-War, Nazis, Mercenaries, and Other Secret History. And most recently, A Special Relationship, Trump-Epstein and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. 1 one first of a trilogy that I'm working on with that, uh, that's really going to follow the history of a lot of these brownstone operations. Um, first book starts out uh, in the interwar years between the first and second world wars and goes up to um, about the mid-1960s. Uh, But there are a lot of also modern parallels that I explore in it, too, and just all kinds of other crazy stuff. Uh, It does give you an insane history of the modern world. Um, Just, you know, please consider checking it out. Uh, You can find that at the farm uh, podcast store. That is the farmpodcast.store. That is our official store um, and the only place presently where the book uh, special relationship is available. So it will be coming out on Amazon in paperback form finally in a couple of weeks, just in time for Christmas. Awesome. so I'm
1: going to check that out for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I yeah. like having the book.
2: Uh, physically. Yeah. I know a lot of people like having the physical book. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and uh, I just uh, started working on a documentary. Um, if all goes well, mm. we're hopefully going to start filming it uh, at the end of December, early January. Doing that with awesome. John Brissom, Billy Ray Valentine, Neil Sanders. Uh, it's going to be really cool. We've got a lot of cool stuff with that going on. And uh, I already started working on a new book, which is actually going to tie into a lot of the stuff we've been discussing here today. So Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be the oh. secret history of conspiritainment, essentially.
1: Oh, man. Great. That's amazing. Yeah looking forward to that. That'll be,
2: yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. So I've awesome. got all kinds of exciting projects in the works right now. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Everyone uh, should definitely check this stuff out. I feel like nobody's really going into the ARG and the history of that stuff as much as uh, you are right now.
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, it's going to be really cool because I'm going to get into like a lot of the, you know, kind of the roots, a lot of this stuff had in like MK all research and it's mm. going to be really cool. Man. Great.
1: Um, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And
2: oh, yeah, absolutely, thanks for having me,
1: guys. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. All right. Um, so I guess that's uh, the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, thanks for tuning in, and you can sign up for uh, our Patreon as well. Are you still recording?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm still so good. <laughs> All
1: right, good. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon as well at. Uh, patreon.com slash consensus
0: yep and we'll be back with some more great interviews we got a lot of stuff planned um for the next couple of weeks try and get some really interesting interviews in before the uh the new year yeah so we'll be back soon thanks for listening